passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Hello and welcome. I am John Pollock alongside Wei Teng. Hello, Wei. How you doing, John? What's what's up? Uh life. September, new month. Yeah. Man, wow, we're already like week past September. You know, like this is officially, I think, the end of summer. Yeah, I mean, technically the season of the summer, we still have some time, but it's over. I hard out Labor Day weekend in my mind. We're now into the fall. Starbucks dictates that it's pumpkin spice season. I had one today. I had one the other day. So. Oh my god, we are the most basic um podcast hosts out there. Nothing wrong with a little pumpkin spice every now and then. I had a pumpkin spice frappuccino. That's what I had. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> oh god. They're terrible. Like they're terrible should, for we you. We should edit this out. Oh, I had mine, and I, like, immediately regretted it. It was, like, my... I, I don't usually go to Starbucks, but it was just, like, right there. They have a drive through out in Vaughn. So, like, I, 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 I had one. I didn't realize they put all that whipped cream on it. It felt like I drank a cake. Well, and, uh, I got a bad one where I, it was, I was in the lineup, and this one of the other baristas uh, suddenly comes to help this line. And it, it was a very, um, are you next in line? I said, yes. So he was he was a little uh I don't know, he was volunteering to help the line but didn't seem all that interested. And then he made me the frappuccino and it was frappuccinos like you only have them the odd time. And there's a way to do them and then there's what I got where half of it's frozen and it's I ended up throwing out half of it because it's it's just like a block of like it's not um it's not going to go through the straw. It's like it's not it's not been uh like you, you know drink talking about. You drink all the drink and all you're left with is ice. You're you're just left with a block here. Whereas if you do it okay. right, you, you you get the whole thing. What they didn't blend it enough? No, they did not blend it enough. That was, was the exact description I was searching for. Or maybe you didn't drink it properly. 
There, it's a straw way. It's it's hard to screw that part up. I find you have to stir. Like this is the problem with like slushies. You know, growing up, you have to like stir part part way through. Did you stir? You don't have to stir a frappuccino. I've never had to I stir a frappuccino. Helps. Not not one that's done properly. Well, all right. Um, I'm I'm gonna have to go to this Starbucks that you went to and get that same guy to make me one, just to kind of see. Okay, I'll I'll come in. I'll explain. Hey, you, the guy that was a little cranky the other day, you yeah. made me a very bad one. Can you do that again? <laughs> You're normal. It's, what kind Starbucks, of mood are you in right now? If Starbucks is is listening to this, I'm sure they'd be cu- very curious to see how how their an employee might have messed up a frappuccino. Well, it happens. The Starbucks. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to make it. To be quite honest, it's a startup. <laughs> might be the end. frappuccinos here and there. You know what I mean? I the bottom's going to fall out of this place. Yeah, this podcast might really send make some waves. All right, we have a lot to uh, discuss as I uh, subtly move on. Uh, we have plenty to chat about. Uh, off the top, I'm going to say that this is going to be Waiting's farewell for a week. Uh, on, on the free feed, yes, yes. I, oh I, yeah, I, that's. Oh yeah. Well, the world begins and ends with the shows you do with me. I, I, I most, <laughs> I am self-centered in that sense. And as far as I'm concerned, after tonight, when I say goodbye, you're gone. But you technically will be back tomorrow uh, with MCU later. Second yes. one this week. Second one this week. I just recorded one with WH that was released yesterday about Shang-Chi. He and I watched this film and we spoke about it, spoke about its cultural significance, spoke about its Easter eggs, spoke about its comic book origins, touched on really everything. And tomorrow he, he and I will be back along with a oh. good friend, Mike Murray. Who Mike will be Murray? Joining, yeah, he'll be joining us to talk about the Marvel Zombies edition of What If. He's a big zombie fan, so um, zombie expert. I suppose you can call him. So we will get his analysis and his diagnoses of everything going on in the MCU. So I'm looking forward to that. But um, no, of course, this is a this is somewhat bittersweet. I am off to my honeymoon next week, and uh, there's you know, nothing bittersweet about this way. You you want to have a nice break? You deserve it. You could you could use some time away from me. It's all understandable. No, come on. It's uh you know it'll be sad to be away for for a whole week away from the post wrestling universe. Uh, from yourself, from this this routine, but I will be listening. I will be listening wherever I go. Well, we're gonna have some wild times while you're gone. I cannot wait. On Friday night, Nate Milton is joining me. We will be live at eleven fifteen after SmackDown at Madison Square Garden and Rampage, the taped edition uh, that's going on as we speak in Cincinnati. So we'll have all of that to discuss. I'm looking forward to catching up with uh, Brother Nate. And then this weekend, we've got the NWA podcast. So plenty of Nate this weekend. He'll be back Sunday with Andrew Thompson, Chris Ely. That will be dropping on Sunday. So keep your keep your ears open for that one on the free feed. Very exciting. Always, we can't have enough of Nate. Never enough, Nate. All right. All of uh, the shows can be found at postwrestling.com. You can subscribe uh, if you're up for it. You could leave some feedback. What are you? Come on. Are you chicken? <laughs> What's stopping you? I know huh? it's I know it's an effort to uh to write something out, but uh that that goes that goes good and bad. Sometimes you get nice feedback, sometimes you get bad feedback. It all it all comes out in the wash. I I I'll be quite honest, okay? Everyone always says 
please leave us feedback. It really helps get the the show up there. And I don't know if that's true. I don't think I, it everyone really says it, but I don't know if it's true. Yeah, I don't think it. I don't think they care about the algorithm. Like, really, I don't think it matters. I don't I, think they're they're parsing through language and stuff. Like, sure, I'm. I imagine the star system helps, but folks. If you think we're giving you a four-star performance out of a five-star system, that's wonderful. That's fine. No, it's not. No. It's not? If okay. it's going to be four, like, I, we have a pretty high rating, I have to say. I, I wouldn't want to mess that up. With okay, a bunch don't of mess stars. it up for, for ways' sake. All right. But, but hey. I, I will say what does help is actually people retweeting the shows, you know, sharing the shows. That actually, I think it does make a big difference. So retweet, leave a nice comment, um, and we might retweet you. Yeah, don't don't reply to us with an out of context photo like some natives of New Jersey. I mean, quote tweet it and uh, something uh, we it. can use. Come on. Yeah, I mean, instead of just I'm scratching my head wondering what this reference is. Sure, you could do that too. That's fine. All right, let's get into a uh, lot of news here. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, number one, uh, we want to wish a a full recovery to Paul Levesque. This was quite. Uh, Quite a scary announcement that WWE made. Uh, they put out a release today. Paul Levesque, a.k.a. Triple H, underwent a successful procedure last week at Yale New Haven Hospital following a cardiac event. The episode was caused by a genetic heart issue, and Paul is expected to make a full recovery. So, I mean, that sounds fairly serious. They did not expand upon how long this recovery process is going to be, and... Uh, what impact that might have on his duties in the short term, but, you know, something that certainly take care of, rest, recover. Uh, that sounds like a significant episode. Yeah, I'll say so. I mean, anything to do with heart, you have to imagine is, uh, you know, a bit um, worrisome. But um, I I mean, at least from the, the vague sounds of, of this report, it sounds like everything went very smoothly. Um, you know, the man is 52 years old, so... I guess it's time to maybe get those checkups and maybe, you know, during checkups, some of these problems will, will arise. Maybe we'll find a bit more information about it, but at, at the moment it's kind of really difficult to, to say what it means, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's more, more than anything. I mean, the company, it's, it's not always like they volunteered this information. They obviously felt the need to disclose this so that it's out there. Um, so anyway, we, we wish a full recovery to, Paul Levesque, and it's a very, uh, it's a very big episode of NXT beginning next week with the the revamp, and it's going to be a very closely followed product in the next few weeks. I imagine NXT is going to do a pretty decent number next Tuesday. You know, weddings number one typically do well, but I think a lot of people, it's just what what is the look going to be, and what it, they're going to be looking at this show, and I'm sure dissecting it, even though. I think if you're looking for large overarching changes, I think that's going to be a long-term change as opposed to next Tuesday. But aesthetically, I think we're we're going to get quite a different looking show. Yeah, I would. I, I, would you expect any presence from Paul Levesque next week? Um, to be honest, I would be very surprised. Um, I, I, again, like this, this was very vague. I mean, this recovery process. Like, I just don't know what this recovery entails. Um, the idea of having a procedure for a, a heart issue and then traveling um, two weeks later sounds a little daunting, but I guess we will find out if if he is if this had not been an issue. Uh, yeah, I would be certainly looking at that if if Hunter would be kind of the face of this thing and presented on there as like the start of this new era or not. But I think with with this issue, if he's not at that show next Tuesday, it's for a very understandable reason. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, you know, but knowing maybe the, the type of, um, uh, I, I don't know, um, 
how 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 much he cares about that brand. I would imagine if he has the ability to simply even go out to Stanford Studios and record something, he probably would. A uh, couple shows to chat about uh, viewership for because uh, SmackDown and Rampage were delayed because of the holiday on Monday, but SmackDown finished with. 2,220,000 viewers last week, 805,000 in the 18 to 49 demo. That's their best demo figure since the very first week back with fans. Uh, and this was going against college football. So even more impressive uh, in that sense. Rampage did 696,000 viewers, 397,000 in the 18 to 49 demo. So this was the go home show for all out. They were number four on cable behind football. Uh, but was a drop in uh, 4% in viewers, 8.5% in their demo from the week prior. And I, I guess that's notable, the fact that they were, it wasn't a huge amount, but they were still down for this live episode uh, as compared to a taped one the week prior. And this did have, you know, your your momentum going into the pay-per-view. Sure. You know, again, live versus tape doesn't really matter a whole lot. Um I don't know. It's hard to really describe maybe what, what the habits of some, some fans are. I mean, Punk wasn't necessarily scheduled to do anything big on this particular episode. Um, maybe some fans deciding, hey, I'm going to watch this company, you know, on Sunday anyway. This one hour might be skippable. So I might go out with the friends on a Friday night. Um, but, you know, it. I think overall it's still a pretty good sign, though. The fact that they they continue to, you know, be pretty high up there in terms of uh, the, the prime demo for a Friday night and 10 o'clock show. Yeah, in the demo, after four weeks, they're averaging, uh, how much is it, 480,000 in the demo. And if you take out the first dance, they're averaging 409. So that's a, that's a very healthy number for, for the mm -hmm. main demo. And excluding the first dance, uh, 720,000 viewers overall. So I think it's been a very strong start for the company. And I, I think that will extend to the episode this week as, as, as well. I think so, too, especially now that, you know, you're probably going to get far more consistent um, appearances from, you know, some of your very top, top guys now in, in, in a punk and Brian and, and an Adam Cole. Do you think maybe we can save more of this conversation for the episode? Do you think that tonight they could have saved um, some of those appearances for yes. Friday? I, I say yes. You know what? It, it's kind of hard to say because I think anybody tuning into the show will be expecting to at least see uh, some something from any of those men. Um, now, if you saved one of those segments for a, a, a big hook on Friday, Daniel Bryan speaks on Friday or the elite speak on Friday. Uh, my To me, the, the biggest benefit would be the fact that we let a lot of those segments breathe a bit more. And um, one of them, especially in the main event. We'll get to that. Um also of note is the countdown show that aired right after Rampage. It did 361,000 viewers, 230,000 in the demo. Like that's a very high concentration of the main demo in terms of the, in relation to their overall audience. And it was ninth for the night on cable. So that countdown um, piggybacking off of Rampage, that was a great number for them going in. And the final one is Raw from Monday doing 1,859,000 viewers, 670 in the demo. So uh, down from the week prior, 11% in viewers, 7% in the demo, right behind college football uh, for number two on cable. Next week will be the start of Monday Night Football. So they will have that competition to contend with uh, each week. They're going against uh, Baltimore and the Las Vegas Raiders next week. So uh, they are putting RK Bro against Lashley and MVP as their big event to combat Monday Night Football. 
Hard to choose. A lot of good stuff. A big story coming down over the last 24 hours. This is reported by Fightful Select that several contracts uh, were restructured. This was back in 2019. And the name that was revealed as one of these contracts that did get restructured was that of Kevin Owens, who back in 2018 had signed a five-year deal. uh, But under this adjustment, his contract is now up at the end of January instead of early 2023, which will, in theory, make him a free agent uh, within a couple of months' time when he is he is currently 37 years old. And Kevin Owens, Kevin Steen, obviously having fun with this because he tweeted out the coordinates for Mount Rushmore and then deleted it. So I think he's going to have a lot of enjoyment uh, playing with this. But what a, what a gift he got here. It sounds like the adjustment for... Like, to come to the talent and want to cut down on the term, uh, it sounds like they got higher guarantees for that time. So for Owens, I mean, what a time to have this uh, situation where your deal is going to be up a year before it was supposed to and comes at a time when, I mean, he could find himself in a very lucrative position or will he weigh? Like, what do you think is going to be, first of all, the WWE's, treatment of Kevin Owens as he is approaching free agency, knowing his position, but also are they actively fighting a perception war or are they not engaging in it? I think that's a great question. You know, and if, if Monday is any indicator, it's that they, they aren't, they're not so much paying attention to what, what AEW is doing, nor maybe the, the, the comparisons that I think many people who left Sunday were making in their maybe interest in raw looking to see what WWE would do. I mean, if this was a year ago, maybe two years ago, I feel, I feel like um, Owens would be, you know, given a, a big, big offer to to lock lock up uh, for for quite a while, and and he probably still will too, because I think he's a very like he's somebody to me that is not as big of a question as Adam Cole. He has been a guy who has been given the championship. He has main evented pay per views, so he to me is more on the level closer to a Daniel Bryan of somebody who they want to keep within that system probably willing to give a good amount of money to make that happen as well um but you know he's also an, another one of these guys uh like a brian like a punk not like somebody like braun Strowman, in that he fits perfectly he arguably even better in the AEW system and therefore it presents somebody like him with a tremendous amount of leverage that i think he is very smart to stoke the flames of so um good for him and good for people like Sami Zayn. Yeah, he's one that, I mean, he to me is more valuable from his WWE tenure than someone who came into the system and um, uh, comes off diminished. I I think the opposite. He's had, I mean, it was a very short run, but he had a terrific couple of months in NXT. I would say the first two years on the main roster, he he was booked very strongly up until the loss of the Universal Championship. And since that time... I mean, he's had he's always had a good position. He is not a top, top guy, although performed as one during that Roman Reigns feud. I think he's uh, capable of being higher. He's a phenomenal promo in a system that doesn't really showcase a lot of great promo work at, at times. Uh, very versatile. Like we've seen, like this guy can be thrown in your celebrity angle with Logan Paul. He can be put as a heel. He can be put as a baby face. He can be thrown on commentary. He's like an easy go-to person that we throw something at. He'll typically make it work. But I, 
I think for these last few years, like you've seen his placement and it's a good place. It's not bad. It's not the top. It's, it's a good, reliable spot that he should be in a very comfortable position. But if you're looking at it, this is someone that WWE was always the be all end all for him, but he's, he has gone through that system. And I'm, I'm certain that there's a whole lot of, um, reasons to be looking at AEW as extremely enticing now from the relationships he has over there, the creative freedom. I mean, he has been an open book about his frustrations at times in, in WWE, but I think it's going to be a very interesting one. I think he's a very valuable piece for either company. And if, if I were Owens, I would certainly be keeping my options open with, with both companies and not making any rash decision now, because you, you've got several months play this, play sides and he does have some leverage i think yeah i love this i love the fact that we can have even these conversations about, uh, about like you know where this star talent might go um in itself i think this gives a great luster to kevin owens and and just kind of makes him the talk of of the party you know um now that you know people like cole and, and brian are, are signed um and will this reflect in his booking i mean i'm very curious to see that I certainly hope so. And if you're the Bucks, you know, you're kind of playing along. You're changing your location to there while Owens has, has changed this to almost, almost there. there. Yeah. In the end, what results is either your buddy works with you or your buddy gets a big raise. So they have nothing to lose in all of this. It, it, it gets people talking about AEW as a major player. So I look forward to seeing how this plays out for him and other talents. Yeah, it's, it's not going to make sense for everyone to just mm-hmm. look at AEW as an automatic. It's also not going to make sense for AEW to just look mm-hmm. at everyone and say, even though they're the way they've been going about it is just piling on. And I would, I would imagine they would actively go after uh, a Kevin Owens. I think there's a ton of value for him in, in that system. But I also look at WWE as being, you know, for, for Kevin Owens, it's, it's what does he want? He's 37 and in theory could have several more, big years, but what what do you want to do with with those years? How long are you looking to do this for? Like he could sign, he could sign a five-year deal and probably go go through those five years. And if he's looking for like a long-term contract, I'm sure that that that's kind of the thinking is like, how do I want to spend kind of the the back end of my career here in these, these final big years? And does he attempt for some sort of guaranteed no cut clause in those contracts? I think if you, if you are very comfortable with the idea of going elsewhere, like if, if Adam Cole, for instance, who said it was, it was a fairly easy decision, you ask for everything imaginable because the worst they can do is say no and you're not tied to staying here. That gives you an, an, an incredible amount of power in negotiation when you, are, when you have the power to walk away, you can ask for whatever you want. And if they say no, cool, that's, that's not going to work for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... um who else would you put on that list of people to watch? In WWE? Yeah, that might make that move in the coming. It's very hard to say because, you know, it was, you know, several contracts that got restructured. And I, I would say just overall, if I was a talent, um, I would want that information out there of when my contract is coming due. Mm-hmm. Like in pro wrestling, it is very much this secret of nature of what every what each person is making contract details it's like in this market that information being out there strengthens your position and that can that is a way where the talent can actually lift each other up in this marketplace and you have comparables but 
that's a system that we have seen that has become a very private aspect of the talent. Totally, totally. And I mean, um, gets, I think makes you a bigger star in the eyes of the fans, you know, gets, it lets them do the promotion for you, lets them do the negotiating for you. I mean, if you are, you know, one of those talents that's being demanded, but absolutely, if you're in Steen's or Owens's position, absolutely. It also, I mean, we will see based on, you know, just the the expectations. Like, I'm sure on WWE's end, they believed that Danielson, when he lost that match to Roman Reigns, that he would come back. And I'm sure that they were hopeful of keeping Adam Cole. Both end up leaving. Is It's not a case of Kevin Owens, his contract's up next week or next month. It's several months from now. So what do you do with him during during that time period? Yeah. Like with the Chris Jericho, this is, of course, a generation ago in WCW. Like those last six months, they were like, okay, he's not coming back. We'll have him do some losses. And then they took him off TV for the last couple of months. They didn't even use him up until the end. They put him on like house shows and he was pretty much just forgotten about on, on television. But I, I think with Owens, like it'll just be interesting if they believe it's a foregone conclusion he's gone. Uh, what do they do with him those those last few months Probably closer to what they did with Jericho. I mean, I feel like the this Cole situation is probably something they would want to avoid. Uh, you know, putting featuring somebody on TV on a big show so close to them actually debuting on Dynamite. Where there's um, no no compete. This is a contract expiring. He could show up the week after if you're well, going to use this guy right to well, the end. But what I mean is I think they're, they'd want to get this Owen situation handled right now. You know, yeah, get a feel I'm... for what he wants. And if, if they feel like, okay, he, this guy's probably leaving... And probably stop using him for the for more than three months. New Japan has put out all of the lineups for the G1. We're not going to go through all of them, but the opening weekend uh, we'll see on September 18th: Shingo Takagi versus Tomohiro Ishii, Tetsuya Naito versus Zack Saber Jr., Kenta versus Toriyano, The Great Okan versus Tangaloa, and if we're to believe Kota Ibushi is going to get off to a rough start, he has taken on Yujiro night one. Will Yujiro get the upset on night one? Oh my god, that is sad to think about. Um, oh, I think Ibushi uh, starts off with a win, <laughs> and then the next night, the B block, uh, the the key matches, they are doing Okada Tanahashi on the first night of the B block. So mm-hmm. very big stuff there. Um, we have the whole schedule up there, but um, some of the highlights: Ibushi and Ishii will meet on September twenty third. Uh, we've got Shingo and Naito, September 26th. Shingo and Ibushi on October the 3rd, which should be, that is obviously, that was going to be the Tokyo Dome main event in July. Naito Ishii, October 9th. Uh, we've got Ibushi Naito in a rematch on October 13th. Uh, and then Okada Cobb, October 20th. Uh, you know, a lot of big matches, especially in the A block. Yeah, I mean, we went through this on our uh, New Japan review over the weekend, but I mean, it's a roster that unfortunately is feeling a lot more stale than typical this year. Uh, that This is the hand that the company has been dealt, the country has been dealt. But I will say the G1 always, always adds a lot of luster to even if it's a rematch that you've seen a lot of times because everybody is going to go, you know, you would expect um, 100%, especially in the case of an Ishii or Kota Ibushi. So... Um, this is New Japan's chance to like catch some of those headlines and to make some waves, y- y- despite this, you know, limited roster. Are you uh, staging a protest by not participating on the first night of our G1 <laughs> podcast coverage? Is that is that an implied message that you're no. sending? 
No, I mean, I'll, I, 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 I just won't be back in time, but, um, it's not a protest. I, I would, the first night is always pretty exciting. So yeah, I will. You'll be back for night two though. Yes, I will be. Yep. Yes. What a way to come back from vacation right into the G1. We're sending you right, right back to work. So the G1 podcast will begin Saturday, September 18th, and they will be available for post wrestling cafe members, the brave ones. (laughs) And then uh, Best of the Super Juniors and World Tag League will start November 13th. They wrap up December the 15th. Um, This is an interesting note. AEW confirmed, uh, this was uh, first reported by Andrew Zarian from the Mat Men podcast, that Dynamite and Rampage will be holding a taping December 8th at the UBS Arena on Long Island. And the presale begins Thursday and tickets are on sale Friday. Now, what's interesting about this is they are running that arena December 8th. Raw is running the event, uh, the arena on November 29th, the week prior. So this is not just the same market. They are running the same building uh, about like nine days apart. You can just leave the ring up. You know, like, (laughs) hey, you can borrow a ring this week. Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, Save some time. Yeah. uh, I mean, this is going to happen. You know, the country's only so big. Uh, You have two people, two companies touring nationally. Like, you're probably going to run into incidents like this. It is um, it is a statement, though, by AEW that they are running such a major... Like this, the New York Islanders are going to be playing in this arena. It holds like between seventeen and 18,000 people. Yeah, wow. Well, they're pretty confident in that market. They've done pretty well so far. It's, I mean, the like AEW, they are attacking the Northeast. And that seems to be a, a prime area that they are looking for growth. And they are booking very large venues for... Um, these these northeast stops that they're uh, running. Um, quickly here, I just want to make mention of the passing of a journeyman wrestler by the name of Bill White. He died at the age of 76, and he was a wrestler that just, not a name a lot of people are going to know. He started his career in 1964, but this guy wrestled, like, everywhere. He wrestled for Flor- in Florida for Eddie Graham, in New York for Vince McMahon Sr., in California for Roy Shire, Vern Gagne, Nick Goulas, Fritz Von Erich, Jim Crockett. He went to All Japan. He went to New Japan. Uh, he was in Georgia. Um, you know, not a guy, not not a household name, obviously, but somebody that was um, very close with uh, Les Thatcher. They had they met to, uh, back in 1969 and had their uh, first match. But I uh, just want to pass along his passing. He was honored by the Cauliflower Alley Club back in 2006, which was uh, one year that I attended the Cauliflower alley club that was yeah 15 years ago and the final story way this saturday night triller will be presenting evander holyfield versus vitor belfort a fight that deservedly so is under great scrutiny because 58 year old evander holyfield has stepped in to replace oscar de la hoya this was set this was set for the staples center in los angeles the California State Athletic Commission, according to MMA Fighting, is not going to sanction Evander Holyfield, so they have moved the card to good old Florida. And the fight will be happening. And enlisted to do, I guess they're doing it on an alternate feed. There will be commentary with former WWE personality Todd Grisham, Jorge Masvidal, Donald Trump, and Donald Trump Jr. on Saturday night. Wow. What do you mean alternate feed? I don't th- I don't think it's the main commentary feed. I think it's an alternate feed you can pick to listen to the Trump commentary. I think. Oh my god, wow. 
Uh, which I would imagine, I mean, you might as well make it the main feed. It's going to be the one everyone is going to be most curious to listen to. I am, not watch, I am not watching this card on Saturday. I, I feel bad that, you know, it's even getting the, the amount of headlines and attention that it is. It's uh, It's the trashiest promotion that is out there. It's just, like, I, I really have a problem with the, like, the utilization of Evander Holyfield. This is someone that, over a decade, more than a decade ago, New York would not sanction this guy because of his deteriorating skills. He's 58. Mm-hmm. Like, Vitor Belfort, not technically a pro boxer, but someone far closer to the prime of his career. He's 44. And it's just, I mean, the hope is that this this fight will just be a joke. The fear is that it could be way worse. And I just, I, I hate everything about this. I don't think there's any entertainment value attached to this. But for those that are going to watch it, there you go. You will have Donald Trump on commentary. Yeah, you know, admittedly, I have some, some interest in some of their prior cards, just out of maybe the ridiculousness of, of it. Um, this is when I I draw my line. Like, I don't really have any interest in the fight at all. And just everything surrounding this one um, is a turnoff. Yeah, I, I watched a bit of training footage, uh, the workout footage with Evander Holyfield. And I mean, it's... It does not look pretty. Okay, great. Now let's let us never speak of it again. Let's move on to Dynamite tonight from the Fifth Third Arena in Cincinnati, Ohio. What a crowd that they had tonight! Great crowd in Cincinnati. Yeah, tremendous crowd. Excalibur is off tonight because he's he's off getting married. So it was the the team of Tony Schiavone, Jim Ross, and Taz for the entire show. And they started off with highlights from the pay-per-view built around the arrivals of Brian Danielson and Adam Cole, but showcasing all of the highlights. And we jump right into it with Malachi Black and Dustin Rhodes. And man, my first note here was just what a super heated crowd this was. Yeah, they were hot. I mean, and I think they should have been. You know, they're coming off of what many people are considering one of the best, if not the best pay-per-view that they've seen. So um, getting the first show with this full roster with Brian and Punk and Cole and Ruby Soho. Yeah, of course. And Minoru Suzuki in the main event and John Moxley. Like they, they better have been loud. Yeah. We, we haven't heard a number yet, but Tony Khan stated the most watched pay-per-view in AEW history and said on busted open today that it was the most watched or most ordered non WWE pay-per-view since like 1999. So this is going back to when WCW was still drawing on pay-per-view and said that even when the WWE was still running pay-per-view, this would have been a good number by that standard. Wow. Wow. Throwing out like your, your big ones, obviously, but it certainly it's, it's no question that this, this broke their record. The question is just by how much. And I would imagine like I I'm, I said 190 last week. I'm I'm fairly confident it cleared that. I think so too. Just I mean the buzz seemed a whole lot more than, you know, some of the like any of their other ones. And I do wonder if this is one where AEW sees an appreciable increase in replay buys than a typical one. Like this had mm-hmm. unanimous word of mouth praise and yeah. Yes, you can see some of the clips of the guys arriving which are big moments, but it was like the whole card had such a great buzz that I would wonder if people that did not order it did seek it out just to watch the entire show. Unless they're scared. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, not every, not everyone has the stomach for, for some of these plunges. 
So Malachi Black and Dustin Rhodes. Uh, Rhodes early on caught him with this German out of the corner. Black was working on him with a, a heel hook. This is after he put Dustin through the timekeeper's table on the floor. And Black is just blistering him with leg kicks. And Rhodes collapses. He's Irish whipped and falls down. I say this every time. It's, it's maybe my low-key favorite spot in wrestling. The Irish whip where the knee gives out. Mm-hmm. I never don't enjoy that. Oh, all the veterans have it down perfectly. Tanahashi, Dustin Rhodes. Yes. Um, great offense here for, from Black. And then he goes underneath the ring. And there is Cody's boot mm-hmm. from Jacksonville. That's made its way here. It's just part of the ring crew setup. I, I just, I, I imagine, imagine Malachi Black, like, just kind of, you know, maybe walking in, sneaking in, making sure nobody sees when they're testing the music and then him explaining this carry on item at the airport. It's like (laughs) why it doesn't have a pair. So he tosses the boot at Dustin while smiling. And this leads to Dustin's comeback, smelling the boot of Cody's and he busts out a Canadian destroyer. The bulldog gets blocked and the turnbuckle pad had been pulled off and Dustin gets run into it. And black goes for the black mass and doesn't quite land it. It's more like a, uh, a shot to his like a uh, trapezius or his shoulder. Yeah. The trap mass, the trap mass. And Taz calls it out for what it was. It's like, oh, I don't know if he got all of that, but pins him in nine minutes and 52 seconds. And then this is the sign of a vicious striker. Okay. The, the trauma <laughs> to the shoulder reverberated and caused internal damage. And Dustin started bleeding from the mouth. So well, he, this is just an unfortunate um, idea of like if he had hit just a clean black mass, that's a pretty cool spot to have the the like the internal bleeding. But you know the way the camera was just right on the shoulder, like you saw ident- the target hit exactly where it was. And uh, you rarely, if ever, see you know Malachi Alistair Black miss those black masses. It's uh, a this... tough finish to pull off, and he has a pretty mm-hmm. high hit rate on like landing, and that thing looks tremendous. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, nonetheless... Dustin, I, Dustin's a tall guy, though. He is a tall guy. Yeah, but that has, hasn't stopped him in the past. He's faced taller opponents. You know, that, that the, 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 the maybe, you know, few inches off of the black mass aside, um, I thought it was a good, enjoyable match. You know, I, I'll say, I think when they announced, or when, when this feud started to occur, I was looking forward to this specific one. I had said on Sunday, I'm, I was looking more forward to this than the Cody match itself. And unfortunately, I think given the TV constraints, given maybe how quickly, like we just had the challenge and then right away, you know, we started the show off with this. It didn't quite reach the emotional heights. I think a dusted match has the potential to with Malachi Black. Um, It was also a very fast moving show with a lot put in here. And, you know, this really only had what, like 10 minutes? Uh, Yeah. You know, so... um, Nonetheless, it achieved, I think, what it needed to create selling from Dustin. I thought he made Malachi Black look great. Um, again, unfortunate about the finish, but continues the story. I just wish it was a bit longer, and I wish they had a bit more time to tell a fuller story. The Lucha Brothers commented on winning the tag titles. It cost them blood, sweat, and tears, and anyone willing to suffer is welcome to try and take their belts. Kingston and Miro had their own video package and Kingston blames Miro for using a low blow. He said, God has no favorites. When it rains, it falls on the just and unjust all the same, which I can confirm because last night 
I was out with my friends as, dude, the skies just lit up. And me, oh God, yeah. one of the just, was poured upon. I had to drive home in that. Oh, my. Wow. It was crazy out last night. Yeah, really crazy thunderstorms. Like, there was a tornado up in, like, Markham. Yeah. It didn't touch down, but, I mean, it was, like, it was very scary. Cloud circling and everything. So, Miro said that he, too, had to ice his balls after their match. He will offer Kingston's broken bones to his wife and his broken soul to his god. So certainly directing people towards a rematch, it appears, as yeah, expected. As expected. You know, really happy to see that this continues because there's so much life left in it. I think, you know, everybody hopes that this ultimately ends with Eddie Kingston winning that championship. So no date yet, but um, they could save that an announcement for later. I'd like to see him do it like in front of the home, like in front of the audience, wherever they are. You know, um, I, and because I, I think him announcing Arthur Ashe will, will in itself get a good reaction. Title versus soul. Ooh. That's They're a all on one. the line. I'm sure that's happened before. Soul versus title. Lucha Underground. Uh, there's been plenty of people in the industry that have sold their souls. Sure. Yeah. CM Punk comes out. It's a love fest here in Cincinnati. He thanks Darby. He thanks Sting. He thanks all of you. And I'm never going to lie to you. And he didn't know if he had what it takes, but it's like riding a violent bicycle in the crowd. You still got it. So Good, thanks. A thanks. popular chant. Then he like, I mean, I think in this context, he took it as a compliment. Yes. Right? Wrestlers are hit and miss on this chant. Some, some appreciate it. Some are like... Some are like, I just wrestled last week. What are you guys talking about? You just didn't watch. Well, justified here, I guess. He plugged the main event tonight, Minoru Suzuki and John Moxley, and he's going to be watching just like everyone else. And this place lit up, chanting for Moxley. And then he points out Aunt Linda. Where's Linda Pillman is there in the front row, and Punk singles her out and calls her an angel. He says, I watched Dark Side of the Ring. This was was, what a great moment. The star of the show, Aunt Linda. And every single person in that building... Or at least it sounded like every single person in that building knew exactly who Aunt Linda was and what she looked like. You know, like it almost tells me it, to me, it's like it's a it's a sign, first of all, of um, how much of a crossover there is between Dark Side of the Ring and AEW fans. Uh, and really, it's just like it, it tells me about the popularity of that show. It almost feels like it's like required viewing, well, especially if you're a Brian Pillman Jr. fan, of course. I, I'm sure there were people that were not sure, but they did. You know, they did do enough to, I think, explain the connection, even if you hadn't seen it. Like, it's yes. like in the grand scheme of it, like it's not a huge audience watching Dark Side of the Ring, like in comparison to like other shows. But they did react here. And it was, mm-hmm. you know, this is going to be the audience where you're going to find that that higher percentage. And then he goes listing off Ruby Soho and Adam Cole and Brian Danielson. He said after the match, he texted his wife and she asked him, what's next? And he's going to ask the fans, what do you think should be next for me? And as he's surveying the crowd, Taz gets the microphone. And he is loudly booed for interrupting our feedback section. And he says, I'm tired of this bullshit love fest you do. You were impressive against Darby, but don't you ever mention any names of Team Taz out of your mouth. And with that, Hobbs and Hook run out. And Taz brings up 
Punk's radio and media appearances where he's been listing Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs in his names when people have been asked, who do you want to work with? Punk says, I respect you and tells him to send me Starks, send me Hook and send me Hobbs and beat me if you can survive if I let you. Mm-hmm. I think immediately you see a segment like this and you realize like there's a world of difference, you know, between this and, and what you might see on, on a Raw or even an NXT. There are references in Punk's, you know, uh, little promos here to Dark Side of the Ring and just Taz is running ECW. Two things that I feel like wouldn't have passed sort of like the Vince test of like, well, who knows that? Who knows that? Like, you know, who knows that catchphrase from Taz? Um, but this is punk speaking to a hardcore audience who is well aware of all those things. And if you're not, you will catch up, you know, you'll listen, you'll speak to your friends, you'll speak to the guy next to you. What does he mean by that? Who's, who's aunt Linda and you'll find out. And, and there's nothing wrong with it. I thought it absolutely worked. The one blemish I found in this uh, segment though, was like, I think there was some disconnect because I thought you actually recapped Taz's promo. Exactly. I think what Taz had intended, you know, when Taz spoke up and said, don't you dare mention any Team Taz members. Punk responded, well, I didn't mention any Team Taz members. And then it kind of became a, a bit of an awkward exchange where Taz had to say, oh, I, I meant in your interviews. You you did it back then. Yeah. And, and, and then it became a very clunky discussion later when Shivani brought it up. And it was very awkward later in the show where they were like almost trying to re-explain it. Right. Um, so but, but I got what been, he meant. It was, yeah. you know, Punk Punk has been listing them with, like, it's been like the same five or six guys he's mentioned in all the interviews, and Starks and Hobbs are two of them. Not Hook, but... No, when Hook came out, dude, I think everyone was like, oh my god. Oh, he's, clearly Punk is scared of Hook. He doesn't even want to, you know, say the guy's name. Uh, he is the main event. I think that's the one you say for pay-per-view, but what does this mean? What are the matches coming out of this? He's going to face all three of them? I get the sense he's going to start running through Team Taz. Yeah. Interesting. All right. In what order? I mean, he he specifically called out Starks, Hobbs, and Hook. Um, so Hook is the top main event, clearly. Yeah. Hook is the Hook. He is. Wow. Could you imagine? A debut match against CM Punk? That's insane. Wow. I, I don't think that's happening. I don't think the Hook thing is, is happening. Like I don't think they should be putting Punk with Hobbs right now. Hobbs is on a run, and I think yeah. he's being built up for something that should be... I mean, you could argue like building up Hobbs for a match with Punk is a, a yeah. big, is a big thing. You mm -hmm. could do that. Um, Punk's not going to have many singles matches. I, I I feel probably like just on TV for no reason. He's probably yeah. like a Kenny Omega level guy. I would I wouldn't want to just throw out trivial matches with with yep. Punk. Like you don't want to make him feel part of the show. You want to make him feel special when he wrestles. Like they have and. AEW has been able to do that with their key guys. Like when the Young Bucks wrestle, it still feels like a big deal. When yeah. Omega wrestle, I'm talking like a singles match or straight up tag. Like it, yeah. they make those ones feel special. And with Punk, I would try and do the same. What I imagine you see maybe in the immediate future is, is some sort of, um, you know, six man um, involving maybe Cage, you know, Darby. That, that's what I was thinking here is like Punk with Sting and Darby against whether it be Starks, Hook, and Hobbs, or someone filling in for Hook, yeah, um, yeah. you mm -hmm. you have you have options given the alliance. Santana and Ortiz are shifting their focus. They're coming for the top spot in the division, and Ortiz just yelled over and over, "We're the best. We're the best." Shivani was with Ruby Soho, 
And she put out an open contract because she didn't want people to think she just got lucky and is now getting a title match. Baker, Rebel, and Hater walked in. Soho informed her that she helped Baker break into the industry, goes through all of Baker's nicknames to focus on who she is versus what she isn't. And it's my block now. Baker tells her, being the runaway, you should go run away to catering where you spent the last four years. Dude, there is no service that has been run through the <laughs> ringer worse than catering between both these promotions. It's like the one universal trait that AEW and WWE can come to agreement with is by literally sitting at a table and acknowledging we're garbage by being here at catering. Like it's the worst thing ever being relegated yeah. to catering. If I'm a caterer for one of these wrestling companies, I'm like, I don't these know. assholes. I'm, How unappreciative. I'm shedding a tear. Uh, well, unfortunately, it has become sort of like the, I don't know, the insider symbol for somebody not being used. And I thought this was a great line. Like it was a fantastic line from Baker. And Baker leaves with Rebel and Hater and Ruby tells Tony, I know she's your girl, but I'm going to whoop her ass. Yeah. Good little interaction. I mean, establish their history together, which I, I don't think many people knew of. And uh, built, built up a really nice little grudge with that red hot line from Britt Brit Baker. You know, in this segment, I, and it's only day one, so I wasn't really expecting a whole lot. But in the weeks to come, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping Ruby's personality comes out a little bit more because – I imagine it's quite the adjustment going from like that kind of very stiff, overly scripted environment to whatever this is. Yeah. And I think she came across really well in that, that press conference afterwards too. Mm -hmm. Like it just seemed like she just is such a likable personality. And that really came through um, just in that, you know, 10, 15 minutes with the media after. She like that was completely genuine. I think that's probably her best quality. The fact that she could come yeah. out and see you see her face light up and you immediately want to like this person. You immediately want to cheer this person. Like even Fast. more so than the um the win. It was like everyone was focusing on just that moment with Bryce after the win. Like it's just yeah. she's a very magnetic personality and that does come through. And it was something like again, just something that never got a spotlight in WWE. True. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but like trash talking is almost like a different story, though. You know, you ha- there's an acting there's a level of like performance and trash talking that I, I want to see a bit more of like, you know, edgewise. Powerhouse Hobbs with Hook versus Dante Martin. Hobbs is just playing, you know, monster here, running him over and then gets drop kicked to the floor. And this was my favorite spot of the match. Dante goes for a tope suicida and Hobbs catches him by the throat. And just runs him into the post. That was awesome. It was great. That was great. Yeah. Dominates Martin through the picture in picture. Taz says, you know, this ain't ballet. No disrespect to anyone out there that does ballet, which I appreciate. I, I hate that analogy that gets used. Ballet is hard as shit, dude. Oh, my God. Yeah. Standing on your tiptoes for like that long. That's a hard industry. Yeah, I'll bet. Dante hit a senton and a pump kick, but then Hook blocks a dive from the apron and or, sorry, it's Hook who gets onto the apron, blocking Martin, who then leaps over Hook with a Topekan hero. There's a double springboard by Ho- by Martin that misses Hobbs, and then a leaping kick into the corner, and Hobbs catches Martin running out of the corner with a giant spinebuster for the victory and piling up the wins for Hobbs for something notable. Yeah, yeah, I I thought Hobbs looked tremendous. He like he's become a great cocky heel monster 
with really good presence. Um, he I like this tandem too with Hook. Like it's mm-hmm. so opposite of like here's the giant monster and he's got this this little guy in his corner as like his backup. And I just think it works with these two. And <laughs> Hook has fantastic like he just has such a great cocky demeanor about him. Mm-hmm. I yeah, just, yeah. And you know he he's does. got like this this just this wave of interest by people as a like cult favorite on the show. Yeah, I would say the interest is more ironic at this point because he's just uh it's like Taz is a little kid, but I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. You know, he seems very athletic. I think there's go, going like he's going to impress people just physically. And he, I don't think he'll he'll just be an ironic, you know, um favorite anymore, but um yeah, Dante Martin continues to look really great in these sort of underdog roles, uh making these monsters look awesome. I I don't know. I don't know if I see him as somebody that they will like push seriously as a single star, you know, but um, at least not yet, you know, maybe in a few years time. But for now, like whenever they need to heat somebody up, like he is, he's a great choice. Dan Lambert is with the men of the year in a private box, brings up the new signings and said that (laughs) more skinny little dorks that are five foot nine or shorter that Khan can use to deflect from the truth. Okay. I get it. I get the gimmick. I don't, I just don't get the sense. Like, so he, he brought a punk and Brian and Adam Cole when he said that, right? Yes. I don't know. Is, is Scorpio sky or Ethan page? Are they that much taller than either of those two or three men? They're both six feet at least. Are they really? Okay. Really? Adam Page or Ethan Page is that tall? God, I, I've stood next to Ethan Page. I mean, he's—I I would say he's—he's he's over six. I've never stood wow, next to okay. Scorpio Sky. Scorpio Sky looks taller than Page. Six feet, like legit six feet. I mean, I'm six feet. I'm like five eleven. So you're not six feet. <laughs> I'm not quite, but I'm more than five nine. So I'm I'm like I'm right in between his uh his barometer of success. Okay, all right, all right. He calls the fans mindless millennials. This company has two real men in Sky and Page, and they will scream their truths and ask for any tough guys in the locker room to come after them. And their truth will burn this company to the ground so that Dan never has to hear that unbearable AEW chant again. Now, I think you're stating the same thing here is that it is an odd mix with yeah. these these three. Like, I don't ever envision these three ever having any relationship outside of this private box and their segment on TV. Sure. I mean, I could see them like hanging out and talking about the industry, talking about wrestling history. Sure. But do I see Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page sharing the exact same views about the industry as Dan Lambert? I don't buy that for a second. Cause that's Lambert not... would work with FTR. Like oh that God, would be yeah. a perfect fit. Exactly. Cause like, you know, uh, Sky and Page's characters prior to this have been, have indicated none of that. So I I, I I personally still don't really buy it. Yeah, I it is an odd mix. And no uh no fighters that came to Not this Dynamite. Week. Well Jorge Masvidal is gonna be busy this week. He's probably he will be busy on Saturday, you're right. Matt Hardy cut a promo, he is gonna shave Orange Cassidy's head. Cassidy responded, whatever. So maybe that will be Arthur Ashe Stadium. Maybe. Wow. How many weeks away? How many weeks? Two. Away? Two. Wow. They've got okay. Newark and, and Arthur Ashe. Next right. cool. MJF and Wardlow come out and the whole crowd is chanting, you tapped out. And this was a pretty big segment here for MJF. 
He calls the fans pot-bellied pigs. He had beat Jericho three times prior prior to Sunday, and I beat him a fourth time. The match was restarted due to extreme bias against me because everyone in the back wants to be me. He called it Shinsenati, and he said all the people online are just saying cheap heat, cheap heat. But believe me, I mean every word that comes out of my mouth. And believe me when I say Cincinnati is the biggest dumpster fire in the world. They call it the Midwest because everything here is mid. He ran down Skyline Chili. What's that? These are a chain of restaurants. Oh, okay. Yeah. The Cincinnati Reds said everyone here is mid. And I dare any of you to jump the guardrail. But you won't because you're cowards. (laughs) Dude, this guy was like just... He's this guy's going boy, full dude. like Bubba Ray Dudley 98. I mean, he will yeah. not go that far because they get thrown off television. But I mean, he is just wanting to put that match up against the gasoline. Oh, my God. Well, he is a I mean, he anytime he does one of these promos, he's definitely a line stepper. But in this case, he not only stepped past the line, he he took a quick piss and then stepped back uh, with the rest of the segment. Yeah, we. He locks eyes on Aunt Linda. He's like, oh, God, this is the match that they were looking for. He tells Linda, do not make eye contact with me or I will knock your teeth down your throat. Aunt Linda, to her credit, she seems so excited to be part of this segment when they showed her. <laughs> he then points out the woman next to Aunt Linda and calls her 16 and pregnant. This is Brian Pillman's daughter, Brittany. And when she explains this, MJF says, that would explain your vile looks. And out comes Brian Pillman Jr. In a Cincinnati Bengals number 97 jersey. I mean, this guy was a god to these people. And he comes out and this is like probably, not probably, this is probably, I said probably twice there. This is the biggest promo of his career that he's cutting. Yeah, on Dynamite, I'll say so, yeah. He calls him Maxwell Jerkoff Friedman, and he's from a city that breeds badasses like my father, John Moxley, and this crowd is going nuts for Pillman. MJF then runs down Pillman's mother, who he calls Methany. Damn. I was like, Jesus <laughs> fucking could, Christ. Yeah, I was like, wow. <laughs> oh, damn. So he... And then he, that was that wasn't even the worst. Uh, it was either. not the worst at all. Oh my God. Um he he's talking about how Melanie should have swallowed uh is just running down Melanie oh. here to the point that you thought like Melanie was actually going to be part of a segment here which I wasn't thinking that. Well, no. no. He goes and then tells Wardlow like knocks him for not helping him out on Sunday and tells Wardlow to go in the corner and just look pretty. And says that Melanie was about to abort Pillman, and he gets cut off here as he is talking about this. And he says, "He says I'm going to do what your mother right. should have done to you. I'm going to abort, abort you. you." And he yeah. cuts him off at abort. And Pillman attacks him. Wardlow gets involved. Griff, Griff Garrison is out, and it ends with Pillman knocking out Garrison with the uh, with the, the with the dynamite dozen ring and. Both baby faces are laid out here as Pillman rolls over to Garrison and the heels leave. I mean, this was uh, as 
like this is an MJF segment where you're going to push things to the absolute limit. And I'm sure some people will be uh, upset at this, but this is the MJF character. And this got over tremendously big in front of this crowd. This was like an attitude era type of thing, you know, in, a, in an era that where you, you don't have much of that. Um, and, and, and an era where I don't know you, if you should have, have a lot of what you used to have at the, in the attitude era. I mean, this was all done of course, for a reason. And that was to make Brian Pilbin Jr. Feel like a uh, hometown big hero that everybody wanted to see beat the shit out of MJF. I thought it was absolutely effective. Um, I was just disappointed that Pillman didn't stand tall here. You know, the man insulted his sister, his father, his mother, and the aunt who raised him in front of his home crowd. Um, I understand that this was the impetus for him to challenge MJF later on, but you only get one shot in your hometown, and this just kind of gave me WWE vibes. You know, but by, you are you are giving him that on Friday. Like yeah, he's, but not he's gonna have MJF. a big. He's gonna have a. It's so, not against MJF, but he's gonna have a big moment on Friday. Okay, again with the lesser, smaller audience that's watching. With the smaller audience, but I mean, you did have to create the heat for the match, and so, I, I do understand it. But so they are building you, this up for a big moment in two weeks. Well, no doubt, no doubt. So now that's provided that he wins, he beats MJF at Arthur Ashe. Do you feel like that will happen? I think it's. I think it will be as important for him if he goes out and has a, a terrific match. But yeah. this. So that can, he has to look great here against MJF and, I agree. and look triumphant too as the babyface. Well, I agree with you there. So now, could you not have arrived in that same scenario if Brian Pillman chased MJF and Wardlow out of there, stood tall, and then MJF got so pissed off afterwards he challenged Pillman to a match in his own hometown where Pillman can have that, you know, excellent near victory? You you could have done it that way. Um, I, I don't know how you could have fit another like segment here in front of the crowd, though. I mean, this was a show that not a segment in front of a crowd. You, I mean, instead you of were saying chasing them off, well, just it's closing this segment by chasing them off in the same segment. I think the segment was designed to just put all the heat on MJF and Wardlow. So I know, I mean, and that to me was where I feel like you didn't have to. I mean, to me, this was an opportunity to like make Pillman look like a hero, and, and I wouldn't say that if MJF didn't go so hard on him. This man, like, ripped every single thing that this person loves in front of his hometown. I thought it was a bit too harsh for the way they ended the segment. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's when you're looking at it with, the, with like, the, the hometown crowd, like, I look at it that this crowd was going to see him and two hours after this in probably a big segment. And we haven't seen the Rampage results yet, so I don't know how that, that all was handled. But, like, I do feel this, this show was... You know, Brian Pillman Jr. was not someone we were really looking at the Cincinnati date as being someone featured on, but I am sure that Rampage, the idea is to make him feel like this hometown star that looks great and then he's going into this big match, but you did have to leave here with the heat on MJF and Wardlow. I feel like you could have made him look good in both shows. Possible, yeah. I mean... It was like a very, it was a very big promo from MJF and Pillman was not going to be able to match that promo was. Not at all. No. Jamie Hayter and Ruby Soho. So they went through the break. Hayter gets sent into the buckle and is attacking and is getting attacked by Ruby with a series of running kicks. Uh, Ruby is then on her shoulders and it looked like she was going for this poison Rana, but they just fell over and Ruby went for the cover and JR just said it was an overpowering counter. 
That's all it was. And they were just no, trying to save no this one. No way to protect that. No, it no, was. It, it looked up. really rough, and they just. Shabani was like, "Was that a, was that a neckbreaker of some sort?" <laughs> no, Tony. Um, unless she, they just, unless they redo it next time, like yeah. as if it was on, on purpose. It should be the uh, new thing with botches. Yeah. You know, you just repeat it again. I meant to do that. Hater went for the sliding D, and then Ruby caught her with the former riot kick and just pinned her. But uh, unfortunately, th- this one just kind of. Uh, this was this was a rough one. It was, you know, which is unfortunate because I think you know, right? Or Ruby Soho. I think we both call. Where I was about to Tony Khan right. did it once, and he apologized and said, "You will never hear me make that mistake again." So it's a tough Soho, one to move on from. Soho came out of Sunday with a great deal of momentum, and I think this was to be, you know, a big performance from her. Um, I the glaring botch I thought really stood out, but otherwise, like the the match was okay. It never really got to I think a, a big level, and and it's also like her finish is is one that none of the announcers recognized, and the crowd didn't really pop for it because I don't know if she won that much actually in the WWE. So it was it wasn't really a whole. Uh, uh, it's not an over finish yet, but you know it's only day one. Like I don't kind of use today against her at all. I'm a big fan of Jamie Hayter. She has great heel presence, really good hard-hitting style, so I, I enjoy seeing a whole lot more of her. And the setup afterwards, uh, they do the hug spot again with Ruby and Bryce, and then Baker attacks her from behind with Rebel and hits a swinging neckbreaker, and they lay... Uh, Riho runs out and gets destroyed with this backbreaker over Hayter's knee, and Baker places the belt down to set up for the stomp to... Uh, Ruby, when Chris Statlander clears the ring with a chair, and we've got Ruby, Chris Statlander, and Rio together, that sets up a six-woman tag on Rampage. Yeah, cool. Good to see Rio back. Um, yeah, I don't know. I she's. I get the sense she. I, I don't know if um, we see we see much storyline for her, but you know, at least she's on TV. And then we're we're gonna have a match with Rio and Soho. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I'm sure there's some fun to be had there. Brian Cage and Ricky Stark set up a rematch. A lot of like quick style, like promo packages that were just, there was a lot to just, uh, they want to give everybody presence on the show who had something big on on the pay-per-view. Um, but there's only so much TV time. There's only so much. And it just seemed like they wanted to fit as much as they possibly could on this show. FTR and Sean Spears with Tully Blanchard and Wardlow took on Evil Uno, Stu Grayson, and John Silver, who did a promo with Alex Marvez. Everyone's arguing. Anna Jay says they're family. Figure this shit out. And she left with Ty Conti. Silver immediately uh, tags in Stu Grayson, thus annoying him. Shivani then says that when he was backstage, he talked to Tony Khan, and it sounded like he was trying to re-explain the Taz Punk argument from earlier. And it's just like going nowhere and thankfully jim ross steps in and says let's get back to the match yeah and not only do they have a lot to like show they have a lot to talk about too these announcers a lot to promote for upcoming weeks a lot of ticket sales to promote it's a lot yeah Yeah. this is one of those AEWs. it was it was excessive like uh i'm recapping stuff here that i had forgotten about uh that they had set up Silver hit a, he was in with Dax. He hit a suplex and a series of kicks, including a bridging German. And then Silver, this was the, uh, the Brett Owen spot at the Survivor Series where he runs the ropes and knocks into Uno. And it leads to a slingshot suplex by Dax. They double team him, setting up Sean Spears for the match winning DVD in 449. 
Dark Order is all upset. Silver shoves Uno. Grayson knocks down Silver. Alan Angels attacks Stu. And then Conti and Jay come out. And Dark Order is in complete disarray. And they are just falling apart at the seams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the team is red hot. You know, during a, a, a match match they had on Dark, I mean, the crowd was chanting. Like, it was, I think it was Uno versus... It was like two Dark Order members facing each other. And the crowd was chanting... Um, please don't fight or something <laughs> like this is a crowd that really loves the dark order and will really be like invested in them not breaking up. So I think this little civil war storyline will really like um get, you know, it's a great little way I think to build them up to what I'm presuming will be a big payoff event at, in Rochester. That's what I thought. Rochester, this story should, you know, hit either its next peak or culminate is mm-hmm. in three weeks from now. Like, I have to imagine there will be a big, a big Brody Lee theme to that, to that first show in Rochester. We got promos from some of the women that lost the Casino Battle Royale and how they are going to keep moving on, including Thunder Rosa, who's not going to quit. Tony is with Tully, who says what they just watched was leadership. There's people from his past here like Sting, and this leads to him issuing a challenge for Sean Spears to take on Darby Allen next week. And when the time comes, it's going to be you and me, Sting. God, is, wow, I was not expecting that, man. I, I don't know if we're if we're demanding that match in 2021. Of all the <laughs> of all the potential like matchups hey. that we have created over the last year, I don't know if Tully Blanchard and Sting is the one people are gunning for. But Tully has had had a match in AEW, has he not? Yeah, and he said he had a long time he had to recover from that, and that was in like a multi man tag. Oh, I think we might at least get that. Yeah, we will see. I mean, he was the star of Heroes of Wrestling. Oh, yeah. Especially mm-hmm. with that promo. Sammy Guevara just came out to just do the deal with, with the cards throughout Picture in Picture. We've had a great summer. He mentioned some of the highlights, including Fuego getting signed, Pam saying yes, and the good times are far from over. Inner Circle will stay on top. Fuego will make his mark, and I'll keep getting those views. You know, like... It- it's interesting to think about a guy like a Sammy Guevara now that you have CM Punk, Brian Danielson, and Adam Cole in the same company all competing for TV time. Like, if you're a guy like that, I mean, it's, you know, clearly he's a project um, of, of AEW's, a project of Tony Khan's, but it's it's going to be a battle, you know, trying to make enough time for guys like that, guys in the next generation that's coming up as well and trying to play with all these new toys so you know in the early start of the show we're talking about like you know potentially like a kevin owens coming in um the issue of time is 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 a huge consideration i think for AEW. this is like the result of all this like this is this is going to be a shark tank with these high level performers that all have incredible pride in their work that are going to be fighting for, for spots, for time. Like that's inevitably going to happen. And I don't even say that as a negative, like you are going to get, you know, people that are very, very aggressive in, you know, their spots. And like, that's just natural that that will happen. And like, there will be talent probably that will, you know, fall by the wayside. Like this is a loaded roster and this is talent that is coming in and they are all going to want to be shooting for, you know, the biggest roles possible. And if you're Tony Khan, I mean, are you, you know, you have to be the ultimate general manager. You have to manage this. You have created this roster and you're going to have to manage it. And as far like he, he works very well with all of these pieces, but that's, that's getting amplified now. 
Well, he clearly is somebody who like pays a lot of attention to, I think, what what the audience wants. And if the audience demands for, let's say, a Kevin Owens to or Kevin Steen to make his way to AEW, you know, can he say no? And, and even if it's, you know, I'm sure in his mind there there's going to be a, a balancing point where, and a threshold where he feel, feels like I don't have enough room to take more guys. You know, like, and where is that? How do you gauge what that is? So far, we haven't we haven't reached that point. It just seems like if they become available, he wants to go after them. So, like in theory, there there should be a limit, but we haven't seen it so far. And I don't think Owens will, will represent that limit either. Probably not. Marvez is checking on the Varsity Blondes in the trainers' room. This is where Pillman challenges MJF for Arthur Ashe Stadium on September twenty second. The acclaimed come in, and this sets up Max Caster against Pillman for Friday's Rampage. Yes, Max Caster returned. Last week? This week? What he was weeks? on, uh, yeah, he was on a, a dark. dark. Yeah. yeah. Forget if it was last week or this week, but he is back and uh, back from probation, I guess, or on probation. Um, and uh, yeah, it seems like he's getting a match on Rampage, so good for him. Shivani's in the ring. It's like 930 at this point, and we have not brought out the Elite. We have not brought out Danielson, and I'm looking at... At this point, I was realizing, like, this main event, they are going to be pressed for time. I knew instantly before this segment began. Shivani's first words are, no matter what that little prick has to say, Cincinnati is one of the greatest towns anywhere. And I just, just cementing Tony as, like, the great babyface, which was terrific for the segment they were about to pull here. He brings out the elite, who come out without Adam Cole. The Young Bucks are selling the effects of the cage match. And then Cole gets his own entrance with, with his new theme. And I think everyone in the crowd, not only is it recommended that you be wearing masks, but you should have sunglasses in the presence of Don Callis' tan. Because <laughs> this guy was neon, okay? in Like, you could see <laughs> the radiation reverberating <laughs> off this man. He was, like... If he walked behind me, he would just blend into the red. Like, he was... This tan was, like, a 20 on the Zero to Hulk Hogan scale. Um, I feel like the uh, elite where, are... Where do you go tanning in, like, from Chicago to Cincinnati? <laughs> just going um, out to... Yeah, maybe he drove in a convertible between towns. Okay. You know I think the elite. Uh, I mean, they must have quite the uh, budget for for cosmetic purposes. Everybody's putting out. How a about Nick's uh, nose to ear deal? That that was uh, unique. Yeah, that was uh, something that I was hadn't a thing seen. for a while. Was it? Oh, people really? were doing that that thing. Yeah, it was gross. Some people could pull it off. I don't know if Nick Jackson is is one of those, but it's it, you know what? In the context of this, it was perfect. He looked great. They plug Kenny Omega being number one in the PWI 500, which was. Everyone's a uh, debate throughout the day. The PWI 500. Yeah, I mean, have fun. That's what lists are for. That's it. People Don't get, get really too invested heated. in it. Yeah. And Don says, "Thank you for your votes and your money." He puts over the Bucks having the greatest tag match in history. The belts were stolen, but they have a plan. And then Nick introduces Adam Cole, who comes out to a superstar level reaction, and he immediately gets right into Tony Schiavone's face. And says, I know you're close with Britt Baker, but if you look at her the wrong way, I'm going to whip your ass. And then he says, get out of here, you nerd. 
<laughs> Step down, nerd. And he called him a nerd with a straight face for like two minutes. You know, nerd, I thought was like a Gallows and Anderson thing. But I mean, it sounds um, meaner coming from Adam Cole. You know, like with Gallows and Anderson, it's almost just like, a oh, it's, it's funny. But with Adam Cole, it's like, oh, ouch. Uh, I love this. I thought it was a great way of, you know, for first of all, for Adam Cole to get heat on a beloved announcer. And I think a good way of like an, addressing his relationship with Britt Baker. That I thought that was knows. interesting. Like, do you make that compare? Like, do you call that out for what it is? And they, they made the clear distinction to just call it out. Yeah, I, you know, it remains to be seen what sort of um, on-screen interaction we may see the, be, between the two. But I feel like they can keep them apart while, like, addressing the fact that they are dating. Like, everybody knows this. To, to me, it's like they're, they're two characters on the show that, like, just because they're dating doesn't mean we have to just yeah. align them together. Like, she's got her own thing going on. Like, her character does not call for Adam Cole to be by her side and vice versa. Yeah. I don't need to see her as part of the elite. I mean, no. if you bring her in, you'll have to bring Reba and, like... Like, they've got their own thing going. She should start her own elite. So then uh, he calls AEW the greatest company because of these guys in the ring. I'm new to AEW, but I've been elite for a long time. I'm a once-in-a-generation performer. The Bucks are the greatest team of all time. Kenny Omega is a a once-in-a-lifetime pro wrestler. Gallows and Anderson are cool, too. Didn't mention them. He didn't was, say them at all. Didn't to the point I was them. like, man, are they going to kick these guys out? I thought that's where where the segment might go. Because um, it, it does was a very want- clear omission of, yeah, like, Cole's here. We could cut the fat. And you, you kick Gallows and Anderson out, and they find something else. It is interesting. I mean, you know, of course, they are, they're not full-time all elite wrestling members. And you have to wonder how long this relationship, like, is there a termination date? Yeah. He's, he says the elite is complete now. He'll make his in-ring debut next week. And an Omega takes over, stating, I hate interruptions, as he gets interrupted by Brian Danielson, who I don't know why they aren't selling plain white T-shirts on pro wrestling tees right now. Because I don't think they'd make any money. I think they would, dude. Like, these wrestling fans no. will spend money on anything. If you tell me Daniel Bryan official white T-shirt. What would be official about them? Dude, they're just going to say it's a Brian Danielson official t-shirt. <laughs> I don't think, even wrestling fans are... are I'm not saying think... this would be a great <laughs> a giant seller, but there will absolutely be people over the next few weeks showing up at these AEW shows in white t-shirts. Uh, I bet you there are plenty tonight, and I bet you there are plenty yesterday, I bet you there, <laughs> there are plenty showing. Yeah, uh, I, even that, I think, is... That would be quite the statement, especially if, if you're Daniel Bryan, who, like, you know, might be, like, an anti like, um, I don't know, commercialism type of person, I suppose. Uh, just a plain white logo. Like, but I think it would have to have something, you know, like, like a tag or something. Just Maybe. have fuck written on the back. Okay. Yeah. Would be, how much would you pay for nothing. one of those? For me, nothing, but okay, how much fan would spend $30 on that easily, easily. Dude, there, there's, there's, there's people there who bought ice cream wrappers for Christ's sake. Okay. Yes, yes. That's the right. bar, literally. You're right. So Danielson is out. He Omega asks the others to leave, and Danielson just grabs the mic and says, who wants to see Kenny Omega fight me? Omega says, that's not how it works here. And Danielson says, you're scared. <laughs> he knows that I'm better than you. I'll kick your head in, and you're not at my level. And Omega goes to attack, and Brian goes for the label lock. 
but the elite intervene. Jungle Boy and Christian Cage run out, and Marco Stunt is out there. Luchasaurus tosses him onto the Bucks on the floor. Jungle Boy does a dive. Kazarian is out, and they all surround Brandon Cutler, who is left there as he eats the Busaiku knee by Danielson. I thought this was a really good follow-up to Sunday's segment. Gave us exactly what we wanted, you know, put both of these men in front of the crowd, and then more importantly, gave us a Brian Danielson versus Kenny Omega interaction and the promise of a match right away. These two not only met face-to-face, they got physical. Um, I thought Brian said it really good. You know, it was it, it it was different from, I think, a WWE appearance where he would probably come out and talk a whole lot more. This was him just cutting straight to the chase and getting physical and and a little bit violent, which I'm I'm really happy to see. And I hope it's it's it indicates a shift in character. To me, though, Adam Cole was the star of this segment. This man just sounded so smooth, so concise, so amazing. I think already probably the best promo in the elite, and probably by extension one of the best in AEW currently. So I have no idea why Vince wouldn't put him on a main show. Like this guy's is made for that. Well, it was a it was a great segment, and obviously Omega Danielson is your direction. And the only question is, how long can you hold that one off for? Yeah, I mean Arthur Ashe, I feel can be his first match. You know, like I I think you can hold off and do like a tag. With I think Omega. we're gonna get this tag. Yeah, yeah. I think well, you, you do. The, I think you do this eight man at Arthur Ashe Stadium. You know, you might even be able to do Brian versus like you know somebody on like I don't know Carl Anderson or something like. On on a big dynamite, and then Brandon Cutler on dark. Wow, not on dark. Like that that would be main event. Brandon Cutler, man, Danielson versus Brandon Cutler. I'd be interested in that absolutely. Uh, but I think I mean Kenny versus Brian will have to be a pay per view. You would think so. I mean that yeah. that would be my my option. Um, but yeah, I, I was surprised they just instantly teased it so quickly uh this wasn't even a tease it was flat out stating pretty much like it's it's going to happen so i mean the next pay-per-view you got two months you can hold that one off for two months i think so yeah so here's what is coming up on friday uh with rampage that uh has just finished taping andrade versus pack brian pillman versus max caster sting and darby allen will respond to tully even though they announced the match is happening next week so i don't know what they're uh they're just going to respond to him in general. And then Baker, Rebel, and Jamie Hayter against Ruby, Riho, and Chris Statlander. Next Wednesday features Adam Cole against Frankie Kazarian, Jade Cargill versus Layla Hirsch, and Darby Allen versus Sean Spears. And then in two weeks' time, Arthur Ashe Stadium, MJF versus Brian Pillman Jr., and the return of Cody Rhodes to take on Malachi Black. Mm-hmm. Yeah, next week we'll get probably a full cart. Yeah, I would imagine you have to have everything in line for for Arthur Ashe by next week. But I mean, Cody's return, that's big. And I think I think there's a pretty good chance that eight man ends up on the Arthur Ashe Stadium show. And maybe something involving punk. Yeah, certainly. Mm-hmm. Like punk a match, hook. you think? I think that's possible. I think punk I think they hook in in uh, in New York. Damn. Wow. Yeah, I, think, I think they're I think they're going to turn on punk. You know, I think I think that's going to be a hook crowd. It's it's uh it's Long Island. I mean, yeah. or, or just, just it's, it's uh, Queens. Queens. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's Taz Central, man. Yep. It's Joey it. Numbers is has a lot of influence up there. Mm-hmm. So, dude, the time is it's ticking down here. Oh man, yeah. And Minoru Suzuki enters 
Cincinnati with the theme that is probably the most popular theme song in the wrestling industry today. It, it, it rose to number one on the Japan. So the the U.S. Japan iTunes charts, which I think in itself doesn't sound that impressive. But when you consider the idea that this song is like from 2017 or so, or whenever it was released, and um, it somehow just rose up the ranks ahead of current whatever songs would even be in that conversation because of one Minoru Suzuki appearance on a AEW pay-per-view watched by however many people. That is really impressive and, and tells you that, at least for me, if you're a Minoru Suzuki fan, one of the highlights you're looking forward to in this uh, on this show. And I can't imagine if if I was looking forward to that much to it, what, what the people in live in, in attendance would have felt. The theme is just going. The crowd is amped. It's just building. Dun, 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 Wild thing! They I've fade out yeah. and kill the song before Kazani Nare. In some parts of the world, you might be arrested over this. Cincinnati yeah. might have been one of them. This, I, I, I don't understand it. I don't care how much time you're wasting. If you're arguing 60 seconds of match time versus that entrance... I think you're just. I think you're mortgaging the sixty seconds of the match. Uh, I would absolutely. I yeah, I mean, to me that that they were they. It looked like they were definitely running. Like th- these two got eight minutes. Oh, they yeah. We know the reason why they cut it off. You know, it's like they were rushing to close the show ahead I of time. I just don't know if in the heat of that moment, I I don't think I'm making that decision on the theme song. If I'm choosing between the match length and the theme song, I'm going an extra forty five seconds to make sure that theme that moment gets on television. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you're Tony Khan, you're thinking, well, um, match quality over entrance, but this is the, arguably the best entrance in, in wrestling. Um, hard to say, you know, how many people watching on TV, on TNT, you know, would have said, would agree with us and, and would have rather seen that. Well, the song was, this was trending after the match. Wow, okay. Well, so, it seems a lot of people... Now, a decision he regrets. Now, there's that potential that this is not the only Minoru Suzuki match we see in mm. AEW. That mm. if he's on one of these other shows, you're at least going to deliver on that. I still don't believe it would have been a conscious decision not to air this. But if they know that, that's some kind of a reprieve. But I, I think still, you, you want to have the... Every time Minoru Suzuki comes out, you want the entrance. Yes, absolutely. It does tell you, though, like, I mean, I think it set the stage for what this whole match was going to be. And, and it's that um, this is, wasn't going to going to be a usual Minoru Suzuki match. This will be, at least for me, the first time seeing a Minoru Suzuki match under TV time limit restrictions. Yeah, they had eight minutes and part of that was the picture in picture. So you had like a three minute break in there. So the crowd is just rabid for John Moxley as he makes his way through the through the arena. I mean, a huge, huge hometown star. And they just get right to it. They're trading forearms, boots. They're laughing. More forearms. And then they go to picture in picture. And Suzuki is wrapping Moxley's arm around the post several times. Moxley blocks a PK. He bites Suzuki. Suzuki bites him back. They do the skull-to-skull contact. They... They certainly braced themselves for it. It wasn't one of the sick ones, but still unnecessary. Ducks, uh, Moxie ducks a lariat, 
or uh, sorry, it's Suzuki that ducks the lariat and applies the rear naked choke, but the gotch is countered with a back body drop. And in the contact here, Suzuki's right eye, he gets busted right above it. And he's got just this circular red, like it's just blood all around the eye. And it's just this crazy looking visual that they got here. Yeah, and I mean, you know, a man who loves violence knew exactly what to do with that. Oh, dude, this guy, he's just, like, screaming in the air. It's like the fortunate color here that came his way. Uh, There's a lariat by Moxley. Suzuki kicks out at one, and then Moxley can't get him to go down from the lariats. He screams, then nails Moxley with this dropkick back to the rear naked choke. But Moxley spins and just starts landing these clean punches and Suzuki goes limp. Moxley lifts him up, and he's going for the paradigm shift. This was more of like a suplex than the traditional like dump him on his head. And that was the finish. Eight minutes and six seconds. I still thought this was like a really entertaining eight minutes that they had, and I'm sure they had much more. I'm sure that they had a lot more in store, but they made like it was still a fun eight minutes. But the theme song that's that's a tough one. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, that aside, I mean, I, I absolutely enjoyed it. I thought the energy was uh, electric and the atmosphere felt incredibly special. This was a live crowd that was chanting holy shit at the moment that Suzuki entered and seeing him against their, their top guy. It was absolutely the perfect match to make. Um, it, you know, if you have seen, if this is your first time watching Suzuki, I think you would have like come across like wanting to see a whole lot more. But if you have seen this match prior, if you have seen other Minoru Suzuki appearances, <laughs> It was certainly weird seeing Suzuki like work a match within TV limits um, and especially rush TV limits. It felt like they were trying to get through all of Suzuki's spots in there. I, you don't really realize it, but like a lot of those spots, depending on depend on time and breathing room to really, I think, work. Um, so I think a lot of it felt rushed and didn't really come across as well. But, you know, it was a good TV match and... I think only, though, a sampling of the quality of a match they could have under less restri- um, constraints. So the match ends, and I really thought this was cool that they did this, um, but it goes against, like, the argument of, like, the theme song getting cut. But they had a good, like, 90 seconds, two minutes of Moxley just having a love-in in the audience with the crowd. And I thought it was great that they did this because it w- it just, like, cemented this guy feeling like such a great hometown hero to this audience that instead of just going right off the air they let that win sink in and moxley feel like a big star but yeah and if you're tony khan i think that's the image that you had you're thinking of i wanted to make sure that i give these two wrestlers enough time to do, to do their thing and i want to make sure that we establish moxley as a big hometown hero at the end of it so something had to give and unfortunately that was suzuki's song and once again they sacrificed the heat the heat way. Oh, oh, sorry. You're doing a bit that whole time. Sorry. No, no, no. I was, I was being serious about like the, the two minutes after, but, um, right. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, uh, follow up to all out. Uh, I will say the negatives of this was just, there was so much on this show. This was like the high end of a show that usually fits quite a lot in, but this was one where I, I did think like there were elements that suffered because of just trying to cramp so much in and, yeah, including like your main event that was, you know, the major focus of the show. I agree. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, you know, they, they, they're they coming off of a Sunday show that, that had so much 
I think they, you know, Tony Khan probably wanted to make sure everybody had enough spotlight. And in doing so, a lot of it, I think some of it suffered. Um, I thought th- this was still a really great show. You had a good opening match, um, good closing match if you weren't really expecting, you know, more than the eight minutes. Um, and then I think pretty good segments with Punk and the Elite in between and everything else. So uh, it was an entertaining two hours, a very fast moving and very crammed two hours. Yes. Yeah. Um, Cole was fantastic on this show. Like that segment was really great. And like just with Danielson and Cole, that was like the big thing on the show. I really enjoyed the main event for for all it was. Uh, beyond that, I wouldn't say any of the other matches were like your blow away great te- television matches. But you had women's match was uh, that did not work. But Dustin and Malachi Black was fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and let's see what you guys thought in the forum, forum.postwrestling.com. All patrons have the ability to leave feedback after every show that we do. So out of 20, sorry, out of 10, what did you guys think? 7.52 is what you guys thought of tonight's Dynamite. All right, let's start with Paul from New Jersey. I'm excited about wrestling again. MJF is an absolute savage. Baker is a star and the new additions have turned this company from good to great. I'll be at the Prudential Center next week. Hope all is well. Well, thank you, Paul. We hope to hear from you next week. We go to Chris from Melbourne who says, I know this is crazy, but I would have loved to have seen a three-hour version of Dynamite. There was so much happening, and I was left wanting more of everything. Longer matches, more of an ending for the Dark Order brawl, and obviously Kazanina Ray. I just feel like with AEW as stacked as it is, this may be a sign of things to come. That or Dark and Elevation will just balloon out to include everything that couldn't fit on the A-shows. That Punk Taz segment was one of the most genuine feud setup promos I've ever seen. Both guys presenting it as legitimately as they could. Also, my god, did MJF watch some Dudley's ECW footage and take it as a personal challenge? Great episode. Fastest two hours of my life. The only other thing I would say about this episode was that it needed Excalibur. Let the man get married. Is the man allowed to go get married? Of course he is, but you know I don't disagree that this man, like the the main event especially, I think would have been that much better with him. Jesse, I'm very excited for the Ruby Soho Britt Baker program. Adam Cole was great tonight. I loved him yelling at Tony for his relationship with Britt. Main event was good, and MJF is a dick. How would you feel about Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page taking place on a dynamite for the world title? Brian interferes, costing Omega the match and the title. This would get the belt off of Kenny and would help set up the Kenny Omega Brian Danielson match. I I I think that Omega and Danielson is is stronger with the title than without. And I, I think that's the direction they will go. I don't think yeah. I don't like that idea of Hangman Page getting assisted to get the win. I think Hangman is a match that you I mean, I don't see it happening in the imminent future. Yeah, it's not going to be full gear, and uh, I don't think it needs to be. I mean, if you have Kenny versus Brian, I agree with John. You know, that should be for the title. That should headline the show, and then Brian should lose. And that's when you have... you. Unless they're going to be really ambitious and do Omega and Brian on TV. Like, that's... True, yeah. All right, we got a David from Israel who says, I felt the show was really good until the main event, which I felt they really fumbled on. They promoted it as a big deal and had a big angle at the pay-per-view, only to cut Suzuki's entrance off, start out with a commercial break, and have it go such a short time. There was so much on this show you could have cut to have it go a normal length, like the Lambert promo, Dark Order match, and post-match angle, Tully backstage, and I'd have to shave, I'd say shave a good five minutes off the Black Austin match too. A question. Yeah, but I'll, when the show's going on, like you're not cutting the first match when you're in the first segment, and you're not running behind on anything. Like, well, it's an issue of, of 
a mistiming. Can we say it? Like, as the show went along? I'm sure it's a case of, like, something going long, whether it was the, the Elite segment or something that just went, went longer than anticipated. Right. Yeah. So but I mean, I, if you're talking about, like, cutting, you know, the Dan Lambert promo, like, that was early in the show. Like, you're not going to cut something when you're not behind yeah. at that point. Well, I guess he means, like, in hindsight. Well, you know? yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, so he says there's so much on the show you could have cut. Okay. Um, a question. Do you not feel that having Punk feuding with Team Taz as his first real feud is kind of underwhelming? I feel like he's got a lot of momentum and they should aim higher with him at the moment. I think it's perfectly fine because I think um, he should be winning on his way up and at the same time giving very important spotlight and exposure to guys that don't have that. And I think that's going to be more of your undercard talent like a Team Taz. Um, I think it's your pay-per-views where you get your big headlining dream match type of feuds. And uh, this is more TV right now that we, we're focusing on. Okay, Kate writes, they cut off Kazanina Ray. They must die. When the worst thing about the show is that someone's entrance music gets cut, it's probably a sign that you're watching a pretty damn good show. Weirdly enough, one of the most important moments of tonight's live show wasn't even on Dynamite, which is the signing of Lee Moriarty. AEW has received totally fair criticism for its lack of African-American men in the single scene, and it's a very promising sign that the response is to sign probably the top independent wrestler, African-American independent wrestler. I'm also really happy that they seem to have used the women's battle royale to launch at least three non-title related storylines. Battle royale should yield new, new feuds based on who eliminates whom and giving multiple storylines to the women's division is a huge step in the right direction for the company. On a related note, I think Ruby said that when she was issuing an open challenge for her contender spot as a way of proving that she deserves to face the champion. If so, that's fantastic character development for Ruby and a great opportunity to showcase other women. Did I mean, that was... That? I mean, I she that. did. She stated that she put out the open contract because she didn't want to make it seem that she just came in, got lucky, and is instantly getting a title match. She's putting, you know, she's going to go through other people. Oh, that's great. I missed that detail. And the segment with the Casino Battle Royale, like, they did set up several stories there between, like, uh, the Bunny and Penelope Ford um, uh, feuding, and then you've got, or aligning together. S Swole and Diamante. I believe Swole and Diamante. And then you had Thunder Rosa cutting a promo as well. So mm -hmm. you, you had several stories there that that segment was, you know, uh, an important, you know, 45, 60 seconds that they had in there. We go to Brian from New Jersey who says solid fallout from all out with the big names from Sunday, all getting significant roles. I really like the segment between the elite and the Christian Danielson coalition. <laughs> I hope they don't call it that. <laughs> Uh, and I'm looking even more forward to the next being the elite since Brandon Cutler looked to be filming all the baby faces surrounding him at the end. Good main event between Mox and Suzuki, although I thought their New Japan match from early last year was stronger. Yes, it was. And it's a travesty that Suzuki's music was cut, though I know it was for TV. Not a big fan of MJF getting as edgy as he did. His Pillman just stood there taking most of it. But it was a wonder it was wonderful to see Aunt Linda there. After Sunday, Sunday along with the, all the praise for All Out, my timeline was full of talk for diversity in AEW's main event scene. Make it less monochromatic, as Nate Milton would say. All of those people calling out for it are right, and hopefully tonight was the first step towards achieving that with Powerhouse Hobbs and Dante Martin in a featured match together, as well as the possible signing of Lee Moriarty during the dark taping. Yeah, I'm... You know, main event scene, I think, is, is going to be a different story, because I don't know if either of those names will be or any three of those names will be touching the main event scene soon it's obviously i think a very important question 
um, but also requires, I mean, requires like giving the, 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 the talent, the attention from the bottom and then like bottom and then like continuing to push them. But that, that's going to take time. You know, as far as like who you're going to inject into the scene, is this going to be something that can be fixed tomorrow? I don't think so. No, it's, it's going to take, um, you know, to, to break into this main event mix, like look at all the numbers and that's, you know, and it's uh, it's a completely valid criticism that I think people have. It's not like AEW just started yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it is a source of criticism. It's also like when you see all these signings, like it's it's not going to be the easiest main event scene to, to break through to either, um, you know, r- regardless of where you are, like where they are trying to push a lot of a lot of people right now. And this has you know, this is growing. This criticism has not just happened since this pay-per-view. It's, it's been there for a while, but I think it was certainly um, picked up a lot of steam over the last 48 hours. The last piece of feedback is from Luke in Quebec. He says they followed up one of the best pay-per-views of all time with one of the best dynamites ever. Every segment moved the story forward. The performers and the crowd were so excited to be there. It's just amazing to be a wrestling fan right now. I saw a lot of people worry that AEW is signing too many WWE guys, but when you look at the people they choose to feature during those two hours, it really removes any worry about the company's direction. The focus is on their young rising stars, most of them originals, and the older guys are there to be paired up with younger ones. This roster is so stacked with overperformers that they can't show up on every show, but to me that's a big positive as it keeps everyone fresh and special. 10 out of 10 show, says Luke. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for your feedback. That is going to bring Rewind to Dynamite to a close. But don't worry, this is not the end of Wei Ting this week because he is back on Thursday with MCU Later with WH Park and Mike Murray chatting zombies. Yeah, zombies in the Marvel Universe on What If. Uh, but as well, I, I like to encourage everybody to, if you've seen Shang-Chi, listen to the review I did with WH Park. It's a conversation I really enjoyed. We did it in person. And uh, yeah, I, I, I really... Had a great experience watching that film both times I did. So it's a special one for us. Fantastic. Well, Wei, uh, I hope you have a, a tremendous vacation, uh, a week off next week. I look Thank forward you, to chatting with you uh, when you come back. I'll be all well well rested for the G1. So um, I, I thank everybody in advance who, you know, will be filling this seat. And uh, I look forward to listening. All right. Thanks to everyone for uh, tuning in live or downloading the podcast, leaving feedback, leaving five-star reviews. Retweeting th- this quote show. tweets, joining oh, the man. cafe. A lot of brave people out there. Wow. Uh, I, how, how long can you stay in the cafe? Huh? You got to prove it. Uh, I don't know about these people's endurance. We'll find out. <laughs> All right. That's it for us. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Goodbye.